enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest states these days. Just representation of storm brewing. Amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this episode is brought to you by Prevenex. Prevenex is a supplement brand that I trust. And that's saying a lot because I usually don't trust supplement brands. I haven't taken supplements for a long time. And I tried them out for two whole months before I agreed to partner with them on this podcast. And I ultimately decided to do so because it made a huge difference in how I feel on a day-to-day basis. I just, you know, that's it. There's nothing else to say. They have the highest quality ingredients. They make sure they source them from the right places. They test continuously. But you're going to hear that from every supplement brand. I trust Prevenex because I take it and because it makes me feel better. Full stop. End of story. So you can try Prevenex at Prevenex.com. Use code RUNNER15 to save 15% on your first order. And believe me, you will not be disappointed. I am recording this intro and outro from the Houston Marathon. I'm down here this weekend. What an absolutely incredible race. We're going to break it down plenty in the weeks to come because it was a historic day. We had 14, 14 American men break 62 minutes and a half. That's insane. To put that in perspective, I was just talking with Parker Stinson, and he told me that only four people did that all of last year. So 14 people in one race, it was, you know, pretty similar to what happened at Chicago in the marathon where we had all these folks break 212. And today we saw so many people break 62. It's just such a great atmosphere at these big marathons. You know, the the women did unbelievably well. Man, the woman who won the half marathon, Hitomi, she put a minute, a minute on Sarah Hall within the first 10K. I don't even think that's possible, but I literally just saw it happen. So many storylines. I'm not going to break them all down here. This is the intro to an episode that I am so excited to bring to you. The episode is with Amy Mongera. Amy is... You know, shoot, I love stories like this, man. Not only is she out there crushing marathons, trying to get all the world marathon majors, she's preparing for Tokyo, but she's a former fighter. That's right. A former fighter. We get into that. We get into her training, um, for fighting and how now she's training for marathons and how there are some similarities and certainly many, many differences as well. And, you know, we get into that and, you know, throughout the episode, I'm not going to give you the whole breakdown. If you're listening to this intro, you're already sold. You're already going to listen to it. So let's get into it with Amy Mongera. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So excited to be here. My pleasure. I appreciate you hopping on. You are kicking some serious butt right now, preparing for the Tokyo Marathon. It's, it's, it's exciting to see your, you know, your progress as you go. It's funny. You're on Instagram. You have these little signs, like this little countdown of like how many weeks left. And I'm not going to lie. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh, Amy's having a baby. It's one of those signs that people usually post of like, you know, like the, the weeks until birth kind of posts, which you, you, you'll you see from time to time on social media. And at first, I looked really quick, and I was like, all right, no, I got I got to take a look at that again. So I got to be honest. There are occasions where I'm like, uh-oh, here comes a hiccup in the training. But then I, I me- immediately, you know, correct correct my, my wrong impressions. Is it really different than having a baby? I don't think so. Uh, I feel like the, the trauma of a marathon is very similar. And when I f- ran my first marathon – 
Um, everyone asked me like, how did it go? And I was like, it was similar to childbirth. Like I remember it being painful, but weeks later you forget and then you want to do another one. I think it's similar anyway. So that's funny. You mentioned that. <laughs> that's funny how you phrase it like that. Cause I feel like it's one of those things. Like there are certain things that, you know, certain people can say and other people cannot, you know what I mean? And I feel like that's something that a woman who has had children can say without getting pushback. But if I were to like make the comparison to my wife, that exact, those are the exact same words. She'd be like, how dare you now get out of my house? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So that, that, that's, a, that's a good way of putting it. That You do have this countdown, right? So which, which is exciting. And you're like, obviously like getting so amped for it. And I can't wait to, to, to dive into your atypical running background and just your athletics background, which is just so exciting. And I use the term kicking butt earlier uh, as a nod to that. And we'll definitely dive into it. So how, first of all, how is your training going right now? Yeah. So my training is actually, and I should knock on wood as I say this, it's going really well. Um, I think that, you know, I was, I was nervous coming off of the Chicago marathon with such a quick turnaround time. This is very different for me. I've never gone from one marathon. I've usually, I usually, uh, in the past have waited a year before I ran another marathon. So we're talking like I had a four week break. Um, but you know, it's been really nice because I feel like my endurance, it's already there. So I haven't had to like stack the miles on like I normally would. And so my mileage has been a little bit lower. I feel like my body is very thankful for that. And, um, I, I just feel like, you know, naturally my fitness level has just sort of taken a leap. And it's interesting when your coach changes your V dot, like your, your fitness level. And you're kind of like, well, that's not possible. The first thing I do immediately is go to the, the estimated marathon time. And I'm like, (laughs) there is no way. I'm like, what are, what, what is this? You know? And then you get out there and you, you might struggle here and there, but like you, you prove to yourself every time, like, wow, I can actually do this. So for me, I'm a realist and, you know, I, I, training's been going well, but every, every time I run, I'm kind of like, all right, today went well. I ran 16 miles. Can I do this for 26? I don't know. It's kind of like, let's just keep going and see what happens. Yeah, that is exciting. And for people who don't know what we're talking about, you know, if, if your coach is using the VDOT app to kind of program your and schedule your runs, which, you know, I have a coach who uses it and I'm a coach who uses it. Basically, is once you, what, basically all your runs are calibrated to a certain VDOT number, which corresponds to your current fitness. So, like, if you're writing a plan, you say, all right, we want to do, you know, a long run with five miles at marathon pace. You just, as you're writing the plan, you just write marathon pace and the VDOT auto populates that to a certain pace. So when you have a coach who changes your VDOT, it changes the whole scope of your training. And it's that like exciting moment of like, oh, this is great. They think I'm getting fitter. And you're also dreading like <laughs> the next tempo run, which you know is going to be hard as heck. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You're just like, oh my, you, whatever is on paper looks a lot more intimidating, I will say. So what about the World Marathon Majors has really, you know, pulled you in as as compared to like, you know, running your local marathons or, you know, just trying to do like fun, exciting races that are a little bit more local to you and things of that nature? Yeah. So it's, it's so funny. Every time somebody asks me this, I have to just, I, it's funny because, you know, you're like, I'm here I am. I'm going into Tokyo and I have to kind of backtrack on how this ever even started. Um, but one of my, one of my milestones, right. So like, I never actually intended to run a marathon ever anyway. Um, I started off as like a sprinter in my early life. Right. And so long distance was like never a thing that I 
ever even wanted to do, but I did do a marathon in 2017. It was the Disney one and I was peer pressured into it. And the whole time I was like, this is impossible. I'm never going to finish. But after that, a year later, we had moved to Chicago and um, I had this like idea that I needed to run the New York City Marathon. And it was like, something I never thought was going to be anything competitive or anything. I just thought, you know, hey, that would be really cool to say that I ran that and my family, we like going there. It would be fun to just get everybody together and go. Um, and, you know, I can expand on this for sure later if you want, but like the, the, the process leading up to the New York City Marathon was really neat because I thought I was on this like great track to really run. Um, my first marathon was like a 458. Um, I was just trying to finish. And then um, when I got to New York City, like I had really, really trained. I, um, I, that was the first time I had ever trained like the whole year, regardless of being in an actual marathon block. And I was, I was following, I was working with a running group in Chicago and I was following this plan and I was doing everything right. And like the watch and the time and the training said, like, you're going to run a four hour marathon. And I was like, this is so cool. Then I got to New York City and after mile 16, like everything went south very fast. You know, I had a really bad start with the nutrition um, because, you know, there's that, that long bus ride to Staten Island. And then you think you have all this time. Everybody kept saying that. I read all these blogs, like you have all this time. So I brought my breakfast with me. And I ate a snack like on the bus, but I was assuming I was going to be sitting there for an hour and a half. Um, but after I waited in the porta potty line, which was an hour and a half, um, I, I just sat down to eat breakfast and literally my corral was closing. And so I had to throw my breakfast out, run into the corral. Um, so I was like operating off of like very little nutrition that morning, um, which I was like, you know, I had done a pretty decent job of like carb loading and all of that. So I thought I'd be okay. And I had gels. Um, I did end up losing a couple gels on the way. So mile 16, um, I literally, you know, it, it's like the, what I've learned in the marathon is, is that you can be tired. And then there's that feeling of like, you have no gas in the tank. And it's a scary feeling because it's hard to like push past that. And that was what, what, what happened at mile 16. I remember seeing my family and looking at my mom like, I think I should probably stop, but I'm just going to keep going. So I ended up crossing the finish line at New York at um, 440, um, 447, which was so much longer than I ever thought I would run that race. It was against everything I had trained for. And what I realized after that moment was that like I did not crack the code of the marathon. And for me, that was something that like I don't take very well. I have always been somebody that is like, I'm an overachiever by nature. Like that's who I am. I do it for myself, nobody else. So I was like, this cannot be the end. Like New York City was going to be the end for me. I didn't want to run any more marathons. Um, so shortly after that, you know, my husband thought I had thrown the towel in and he was like all ready to say like, no more marathon training. This is great. She's not doing it anymore. <laughs> and then Chicago sort of came and I thought, you know what? I might as well. I have, you know, I want to travel and I want to see what I'm fully capable of. And so why not commit to this series of races that will allow me to travel the world but also give me multiple chances to see who I can be in this race. 
Um, and I decided um, we were sitting at a pub and I literally was signing up for the lottery of the Chicago Marathon. I hit submit. My husband's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, just signed up for the Chicago Marathon. This is not over. And I said, and I hate to break it to you, but I think I'm going to run the six world majors and get my six star medal. So he went through a grieving period. It was about a week long. And then we all decided, okay, let's do this. And I had a goal to do it before I was 40. So that was a little aggressive, but I thought, you know what, like after 40, I, I, I just thought, let me, let me just put a goal on this. And so that is sort of how I came to do this, um, with Chicago being the second star. Wow. Yeah. That's, I can, I think we've all been there where we have these intense emotions after a race that didn't go well for whatever reason. And I think it's so interesting. Like, I feel like it's, it's such an indicator of someone's personality type on some level. Like for me, just as an example, like if I had that experience, it would be like, that's it. <laughs> I'm taking an <laughs> extended break. See you later, alligator. Like I'm out of here. And it's so interesting that for your for you, obviously you had a fleeting a fleeting moment of that, and maybe it was when you know your your body was still like in pain. Um, but then you kind of you went the other way, right? Like, all right, no, this is a challenge. Challenge accepted. Not only that, I'm tripling down. I not only while I run another <laughs> marathon, I'm going to run all the marathons. And it's so interesting. Has that always been a characteristic of your personality, whether it's sports related or just in general? Absolutely. And I think it's rather annoying for my loved ones, but I think of things like unfinished business and like I, yeah, I do. I feel like um, I need to constantly be chasing after things that I did not. And I, and you know, I, I don't necessarily always believe that there's ever going to be like, I achieved it. I think you can continue to grow. Like that's always been my mentality as I'm like constantly wanting to grow and if I have a moment where something was so difficult and I feel like there is a possibility that I can crack the code to it, like I'm definitely going to try. And I don't really even love the 26.2 distance. Like I've said that now three times. Like I don't love it. It's not what I'm good at. But I think like as I've gotten older, I've really embraced being in, in situations that are uncomfortable. I feel like they give you the grit. And they also like, you know, one of my goals too, like let's say my biggest goal, right, is to be the best example I can for my son. And as he's been growing up, I've always tried to make sure that, you know, I don't throw the towel in. I do set an example where he understands that like you do have to put hard work in. You know, I'm not, this is not natural for me. So if I want to be good at it, I have to put the work in. And I think he's definitely seen that too, which has been great. All right. So now you're, now you're throwing in the, the throwing in the towel phrase. We're talking about your son now. So let's just dive into your history because it's so interesting. You know, you spent, was it eight years as a fighter? I did. I did. So let's talk about that. How did you, you know, you just mentioned before how like you love to take on challenges. So obviously when part of that is like, okay, well, when do you give up something and then try something else that's new? So for you, at some point you decided that becoming a fighter was something that you'd be interested in doing. Let's talk about the start of that process and what piqued your interest. Yes. So um, I was an athlete growing up, obviously. I ran track and I played softball competitively. 
Um, and I was, like I said before, I was a short distance runner. So I ran the 100 to 40 relay. And then as I got into high school, I started to, I moved over to softball because I already had kind of college coaches looking at me for the speed, the leadoff batter speed that I had. So I kind of like that, that was sort of what, where I lived most leading up into like my, obviously into college. Um, but then, you know, I kind of got burnt out. I was in college. I kind of got burnt out with softball. Um, I was struggling to kind of like, I just, you know, you, when you lose the joy of something to me, it's like, that is when you do throw the talent, if you're not having fun doing it anymore. And it just, it was putting a lot of pressure on, um, a lot of, you know, academic studies and things like that. So it was, it was more trouble than it was worth to me. And then, you know, on top of that, I ended up getting pregnant with my son early at 21. So, you know, everything kind of shifted at that period of time. So right after I had my son, I decided, well, I needed to do something that like got me back into fitness. I had always been an athlete. I need something that has some sort of a goal attached to it. So um, I started doing martial arts and I started with American Taekwondo. I got my first degree um, and then I started dabbling in Muay Thai, which was very different than Taekwondo, but I thought it, it presented like a very interesting like physical chess type of, you know, ambiance to it. Like I was getting to spar. It wasn't a big deal, but I was like getting to see like, okay, if I throw this, this person's going to throw this and I can start to say, we're playing a physical game of chess. So it was like intellectually stimulating, got me in great shape. Um, I ended up getting a third degree black belt and then decided, you know, there was a couple of girls at the Muay Thai gym that were competing amateur. And I thought, you know, well, that would, that seems like it'd be interesting, you know? So I officially registered uh, for a fight, my first amateur fight, and um, went into a fight camp, which that's sort of when running was introduced to me, distance running, because the coach's philosophy was, is that as cross training, you needed to do a mile for every round you were going to fight. So initially I was fighting three round fights. So I was starting to run three, four miles, um, which at the time seemed agonizing. Um, but anyway, so my first fight comes and I'll never forget going into the ring. Like my name's called and I get to pick this cool song and I'm walking out and you think you're like so cool, but then you get in the ring. And I remember looking at the corner, like, please get me out of here. Like ASAP. There's a woman across there. She does not look my weight at all. She looks gigantic and I'm stuck in here. I can't get out until either I get knocked out, she gets knocked out, or we go all three rounds. I was like having a panic attack. And he just looked at me and said, she's got to go. <laughs> so I'd like to tell you I remember my first fight. I do not. It was literally like the definition of fight or flight adrenaline. I don't even remember any combinations I threw. I watched the video back and I was like, hey, I didn't do too bad, but I don't remember any of this. Um, but anyway, so I, I won that fight. And afterwards, it was, again, it was one of those things where I was like, I think this is kind of fun. So I started doing Muay Thai tournaments. Um, I fought as an amateur for a long time and... Um, you know, I won some, I lost some, I got knocked out once. It was, uh, something that you never, I, you never really forget. Uh, it was humiliating. It taught me to fix a mistake immediately. So that never happens again. Um, and then 
you know, I, I spent my last two, two years of fighting as a professional, um, where I did, I fought Muay Thai tournaments and had sponsors and, you know, I, I trained, um, full time. Uh, so it was, so what is that, uh, what is that professional, what is that professional life like? I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'd I'd love to hear more about that because, because it's, it's going from, obviously you were a dedicated amateur. If you got to the but if you got to the point where you could be a professional, certainly you were putting in a lot of time as an amateur and even as a young mother. Um, so you were probably balancing a lot. What was the, was there a, a switch from a lifestyle perspective once it became not only a dedicated um, hobby of yours and a strong interest, but your actual livelihood? Yeah, absolutely. So I was, um, so my original degree, it was actually in education. So I was actually teaching school through amateur fighting. Um, and so I stopped, I completely stopped teaching and trained full time. Um, so yeah, I was, I was training about three times a day. Um, I had like performance training multiple times a week, um, where I had to go and, you know, literally we had an entire workout built for speed work coming off the line, like, you know, punching and kicking and things like that. I did a lot of pad drills like midday and then Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, I was sparring. I was traveling all over to spar actually, because that was one thing that I learned quickly is, you know, you start to get in sort of a dance rhythm with your sparring partners. And again, keeping with the whole philosophy of like constantly, I always thought that I needed to be, it needed to be worse in training than it ever would be in the ring. So I always wanted to put myself in really, really uncomfortable situations. So I traveled all over the place and I was living in Florida at the time. I traveled to Daytona Beach, Orlando, um, to try to train with different fighters and, and different people. And at the time I was fighting UFC and like MMA was not even really happening for women at the time. So I was fighting a lot of the people that are now in the UFC. So it's really cool to see kind of their trajectory on, but, um, I was just, I was, um, still kind of taking on these professional tournaments too, which were like, you know, you started on a Friday, you fought through Sunday and it was single elimination and you could fight like six times in one weekend. Um, so I was doing that just to continue to like hone my skills. I figured the more that I, the more that I fought, the more I would be better off. And, you know, the ones that paid, um, decent amounts of money. And so, um, I got, I, yeah, you, you know, you make your livelihood off sponsorships and you need to make sure that you're training and you're, you're trying to at least do your best to win. The thing with fighting that's difficult that I found is that, you know, when you step into the ring, you have a 50, 50 chance, no matter how prepared you are. And I think when I hear, you know, you hear all this hype, you, you see somebody on top, right? Like Ronda Rousey or somebody like that, you know, in your mind, you're like, there is going to be a chance that they can lose, right? That's the sport. So it was, it was a different, it was a, it was a tough lifestyle because especially when you got on maybe a losing streak, you don't, you know, you don't always know how to pull yourself out of it because it, it, you're flipping a coin every time and you can go out there and fight your best and be as prepared as possible and still lose. So how important in that case, um, would is confidence and the ability to like be present and in the moment when you have that feeling and that knowledge that you just explained, you know, kind of hanging over your head. Uh, yeah, it's it's all you can do. Um, I remember that I used to close out training camp and just say to myself, like, "You've done, you've done everything you can." 
that was the the feeling of going into the ring knowing it was a 50-50% chance was why I always showed up. And that part of it has carried over into my running now. Like I always show up. And that's what my coach always says to me is like, I didn't perform a miracle, Amy. You showed up. Um, but knowing that you have a 50-50% chance is the reason why you show up. You have to train. And every time I did lose, I am very critical. I do want to look back at the fight tape and I did want to see like, you know, I shouldn't have let it go to the judge's hands or whatnot. But at the end of the day, you try to find areas of improvement off of every loss. And I think that if that cyclical um, process isn't present in anything in your life, like it's hard, um, you can then get into a slump where you're like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I quit, blah, 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 instead of looking at it as opportunity to grow. And what uh, what about the fight game ultimately turned you off to that lifestyle? Yeah. So, um, you know, I didn't, there wasn't really anything um, about fighting itself. I don't ever think I thought that, you know, I was going to end up being a professional fighter for the rest of my life. I always looked at it as this is going to be a short-term thing. Not to mention I had my mom constantly bothering me that I was going to get my teeth knocked out or something and that my face was too cute and I can't ruin my face, etc. Um, <laughs> but um, I – so I ended up really wanting to go back into like the working world. And while I was fighting, I was kind of learning – doing some marketing and learning marketing. Like as a, I was doing like a part, some part-time work. Um through that experience. And I really found the love for marketing. So I ended up going back to school to get my master's degree in marketing. And truly, the, the reason I stopped fighting was that at that exact point was that I, I really wanted to start a career. And for, for several reasons, you can't be a pro fighter and be a full-time marketer. And I can't go to work with black eyes. It was kind of like one of those things where I didn't know if people were going to be domestic filing domestic violence charges. Who knows? Um, so... Um, that's really why I stopped when I did. But again, you know, I never thought fighting would be something like I didn't imagine, you know, being a professional fighter today at this age, for sure. All right. So with that said, and we'll, we'll, at this point, we can t- kind of jump into the running for a second. But your son now is a successful fighter at a young age. Um, and well, I should say young age. You know, he's not he's not, you know, he's not a teenager anymore or anything like that. But he. um you know, he's doing well. And what's that like for you as a parent? Are you experiencing the same emotions that your mom experienced? Or are you able to view it a little differently since that was your background? I view it completely differently than my mom did. Granted, the last time I saw him fight at a tournament, um, there was a kid doing some shady stuff. And I was like yelling at the ref. You know, I am that kind of mom. I do understand it. So I'm like, ref, Ah, he's hurting my child's head, like the back of his head. Stop. You know, I, I am the mom still, but uh, Austin is extremely talented, way more talented than I ever was. And uh, he's really trying to qualify for the 2024 Olympics. And so I'm trying to be very supportive. Um, I write a running plan for him in his training, but I try to stay out of his training completely and leave it in the coach's hands. So in some ways, I have an ignorance to it that I I don't I want I want to act like I know nothing about it because I think that um, there's a there's a interesting line that can be blurred right where I'm too invested. Um, 
but I do write his running plan and I'm, and we do have recaps and I, I just like to ask him a lot of questions about how he thinks he performed and what can he do better next time and things like that. And what has made me very proud is he has stayed very humble and that's that's a hard part of about fighting is you know when you're on a winning streak like Austin is you tend to be like oh this is it i'm i'm like the best and i'm never going to lose um he always goes into it knowing the same thing i mentioned before that there is a 50-50% chance and he shows up to train every day so i'm very proud of him and i'm excited to kind of follow his journey around and you know see where he ends up all right. So you had a great post a couple months ago um, on Instagram talking about you know, your 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 training background and your fighting background, and you know, kind of explaining you know, what you had done um, in terms of like you know the years you spent as a fighter and so on and so forth. And at the bottom of it, you mentioned three things that you took from fighting that you now implement as a runner. And those three were, and I love to get into the you know why they you know connected with you in multiple ways but under promise and over deliver second one is stay humble and three was trust your training so would you mind giving examples of each of those about why it was important as a fighter and now how you're using it as a runner yeah so the under promise and over deliver i think is like my motto of life i i have ingrained it into austin as well um i i'm sure you've seen it in 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 fighting particularly but you get the these hype sessions it's part of the game where people are just they're they just they say terrible things to people and they're just they they present themselves as like they're somehow immortal and they're not human at this given time, right? And and nothing is and then they lose and it's like this big shocker and they have to kind of go into this little bubble of like I can't I can't come out of hiding for a little bit of time. Um I think that one thing I always tried to do is I never promised, I never verbally promised anything. Um I never people would interview me, I would do interviews, uh all different things and they would always want me to and they would always ask me like what are you trying to, you know, get out of this fight and I I would just say I'd like to see, you know, how my training works this time. I've worked on a couple of things. I'd like to see X amount of improvements. Um I was never like I'm going to win. I'm going to knock her out in the second round. That's not how it went. And then you go in there and you you put the action behind the intent, right? Like you you are actionable. And then after that, you can then say, you know, um I I I didn't overpromise, I overdelivered. Like that's what I always want to do. So in running it's been the same thing. I um I love the running community on Instagram and I, it's been a great thing. But like one thing I'm never ever going to do is I'm never going to put times out there, goal times. Um, I I don't I'm not really I sometimes I'll I'll put you know paces and stuff. But like that's just not my way of doing things. Um, for me it's all about um how did I feel today? Uh, how is this going to help me in the final race? You know, I do have sort of a goal range I'm always going towards, but like, it's just something I'm never going to publicize because you get, again, you just never know how it's going to be on race day. And, um, ultimately for me, I just need to finish the six world majors because that's what I set out to do, whether I have to walk the marathon or you know whatever it takes i need to finish and i think ultimately that's that's what i'm i i want to always have so that's that's one for me for sure is that i i like to be silent um i do like to stay humble too i am very grateful every day that i can get up and run 
And some days I sit there and I run and all I do is complain like, oh my gosh, my coach didn't give me enough, you know, rest time, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I try to find something that I'm, I'm very thankful that I'm able to, I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful I can go out and run. Like anything can change that. And I think when people get injured, they really realize that, that man, you know, any, any little thing, um, can kind of mess up this trajectory you're on. And so, so I do try to stay humble. I try to make sure that my purpose for social media is to like lift others up. And, um, I think, you know, in some ways I'm, I don't want to say like I, my social media is like geared towards the underdog, but it's geared towards the people that like, they might have really want to do something. They might want to qualify for Boston, right? But they might be where I was three years ago. And they're like, I'm running a 458 marathon. How is that ever going to be possible? And I just want them to know that it's possible. Um, so I think staying humble is so important. And, you know, when I, when I shaved off an hour in Chicago, I cannot tell you how many people reached out to me. Like it was such a bigger deal than I ever realized. Um, for me, I was trying to get a Boston qualifying time, right? So I wanted a 335 on that race. So was I disappointed with my 340? No way. But when I finished, I was like, okay, back to the drawing board. How am I going to shave off this five minutes plus some padding maybe, right? But like to others, it was such a big deal. And I could have, I think I could have ridden that like pretty hard for a while. Like, man, did you see that? I shaved an hour off, but this is not me. I I was like trying to give tips where I could and, you know, help people and guide them in the right direction. But I wasn't going to really, you know, ride the hour. I was, I gave myself a pat on the back and I moved on. Right. Well, that makes sense. And then, you know, you also have trust your training in there as well, um, which I think from a fighting perspective is completely understandable. What do you mean when you, when you think about it from a running perspective, you know, why, why is that something that you really try to take to heart? Yeah. So I have to admit, I didn't learn to trust my training until Chicago. So in April of 2019, I decided to coach up. Like I decided, um, and I knew Mel was the coach that I wanted. So I decided then because I was like, you know what? I don't think I can do this on my own. If I want to see where, what I'm fully capable of, like, I just, I don't think I can do this on my own. And mind you, before I actually did connect with Mel, like I had run some really good times for myself early in 2019. So I was on a pretty decent streak. Um, but so the entire training camp leading into Chicago, I, I was just super, super, skeptical of all of it. Like the paces that were on paper, some of the workouts. Um, I think I had this mentality that in order to run a certain time, I needed to be running like X amount of miles per week, like 70 miles. Um, I, I got wrapped up into the hype of like what other people were doing a little bit too much. And I, I was kind of like really questioning, but then you know, after peak weeks, I decided like, well, I, I put a lot of work in and this is, you know, this is it. I have to, I have to go in trusting my training. Um, and I will tell you that I didn't trust my training fully until the half marathon of the Chicago Mar of the Chicago marathon. The whole time I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to sustain this, this speed. There's just no way I I'm going to crash. And I, I was like, it was so weird. Um, then I got to the halfway point and I was like, 
you know what? The race is kind of beginning right now and I feel great. I think I can do this. And when I finished the race, I was like, I will never again not trust my training. Like that was, it was so silly and so foolish. And, you know, for me, I do know that certain things are maybe non-conventional for other people, but that's okay. Like I might not ever run more than 50 miles in a week and that's okay. Like I can do it. I'm fine. And I don't run six days a week. I run five days. Um, I learned that those things are okay and that my coach knows best and I, I really have to trust. And I, I think that was a big takeaway from fighting that I needed to apply to running and I finally have. So I'm, I'm thankful for that for sure. And what about your training led you to led you to kind of question whether or not you were ready? Obviously, you know, you mentioned Coach Mel is Melissa Becker, who's been on this podcast before. And she's a coach at McCurdy trained and you had kind of handpicked her and normally, you know, I, James is my coach and I've, and I've, you know, I've been part of McCurdy trained for a couple of years now. Um, and I know that his process is talk to the athlete and then he makes the decision on who, which coach they go to. And you made it very plain, like, no, I'm going to, Mel's going to be my coach. That's the end of the story. So with that being the case, you obviously had a lot of confidence in her. So what about the training for you? led you to question your readiness? So when I first had my conversation with Mel, um, you know, we, we did our normal interview and she said, you know, what are your goals? And I said, well, I have to finish the six majors and my goal is to run Boston in 2021, but I'm going to do it via charity. And she said, well, why would you do that? And I said, well, I just don't think that a Boston qualifying time is in my future. Now, here I am speaking from a 447 marathon, right? And knowing that I have a very aggressive timeline ahead of me. Um, and she said, well, I'm looking at some of your times right now, and I disagree. And so I said, okay, well, let's see. Let's give Chicago a go, and I'll put the work in, and let's see what happens, you know? And initially, we weren't setting out for a BQ. We were, we were setting out for actually the 340, which is what I ran. Um, but I think it's the, I think for me, it's like the, the mind shift of looking down at your training plan one day and seeing that for a mile, like six mile repeats, you have to hit a 750. And you have been used to running 10 minute miles, 10 minute mile pluses during the marathon. And I think that that whole shift, like it, if you think about it, it was pretty dramatic for me. Like I went from a 447 and here I now am training like I can complete at a 340. Um, That's what I didn't trust. I thought that I kind of thought I'm like, man, we've known each other for a short amount of time, but like what kind of algorithm is she using? Like I must, I mean, I was just like, what is happening? How does she think that I'm capable of running these paces? And for me running this long distance thing has been so out of my comfort zone and so out of everything that like I am naturally good at. So I was freaked out to be honest. Um, and yeah, every time I got out there and I did it, I was like, I proved to myself, but you, you know, when you're running a marathon, you always have that lingering, well, I have to do this for 26.2 miles. And this was just an 11 mile run. So I think that is the part that had me freaked out most of training camp. Got it. So it basically came down to no matter what your coach was going to tell you, like you were just going to hold on to that 
um, just not knowing. Like there was there was no way to to bridge that gap besides just going out and doing it. Yeah. Yep. It took the marathon, the completion of the marathon, to be like, okay, we're a different person now. Get over it. Move on. Push the past in the past, and let's let's keep going forward. That's it. Took that for me to be like, okay, and trust your training and your coach. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, exactly. So what was it like post Chicago compared to what it was like post Boston, right? You finished Boston, you have that, 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 that small, you know, small window of doubt, or do I want to keep doing this? And then you double down all the way and you say, screw it, we're going all in. And then Chicago happens. Did you feel any sense of like, you know what? Like, I feel like the monkey is off my back. Maybe I don't need to go all the way. Or did it just embolden you to keep going harder? You know, it's it's so funny that you asked me this. I felt like um, an I felt like the athlete I was in my past life again. After Chicago, I took a week off, and then I got right back at it. And it was like time to do work. Um, I didn't have any sort of like I did a little bit of reflection. I realized um, a, a big weakness in Chicago was the last 10K of the marathon, which I'm sure most people listening will relate to. Um, I knew that that's where I had some unfinished business. I made a goal to put myself in really uncomfortable situations all the way up to Tokyo. And that was it. I was ready to train again. I had no mo- no feeling of like, I'm not going to do this goal or I'm going to... It was just kind of like, let's stay the course. I felt exactly like I felt back when I was a professional fighter and I would fight, I would reflect, I'd make my game plan going forward. And um, that's how it is. And, and I'm prepared to try to keep that mindset through, um, through my final star um, in 2021. So... I'm I'm glad there's some consistency to it. I didn't have a big gap of time off. I think had I had a big gap of time off, perhaps I I wouldn't have been so uh, so willing to kind of adapt back into that athlete's mindset. So how are you feeling now? Like you you had this huge breakthrough in Chicago, right? You had this. Not only was it a great time, but this feeling of like okay, like. I'm now realizing my potential on some degree, but certainly there's more to do. And that's exciting as well. How are you feeling not only about, you know, we talked about how your training is going. So I don't mean like that specifically, but how are you feeling in terms of view, you know, viewing yourself as a runner and feeling like, all right, like this is not only a distance that distance that I can complete, but you know, maybe I'm not that sprinter anymore. Maybe I can, you know, really excel at this distance, which maybe didn't come naturally to me at first. Yeah, that is such a great question. Um, I feel like there has been such a shift in my mindset. I exactly that. Like, okay, Amy, you're not terrible at this and you can do it. And you know what? Your goal for Tokyo is to get like get your official BQ, but you know what? Like, let's see what you can do in Berlin to be your best. Like, I don't necessarily now want Boston to define me. I'm willing to say like, what can Amy do in the marathon? Like, what is, what is it I can do? And I have a few left to try to figure that out. And I'm willing to put in the work to see like, where can I get to? So at least when I do close this chapter up, I can say that I gave it my all 
And there's like a healthy closure in the marathon. And I've learned stuff that I can share with others and, you know, guide them because, you know, th- this is a story that a lot of people go through. And I, and I think a lot of people give up too soon. And, you know, I, I hope that I, I hope that this experience for me, what I hope this year brings me is just more knowledge to share to others. Like, yes, it can be done. And um, I, I love the mental weight it's lifted off of me. Then now I'm back in this, I'm back in my normal mode of like, don't, you know, don't settle. Don't settle because Boston says that in your age group, you need to have a 335. Like, try, try to do what you can do. Like, you're capable of doing it. And I think that that's great to know. And one thing that we haven't talked about that, you know, obviously as part of your life, I shouldn't say obviously because I haven't talked about it yet, but one thing that's been a part of your life that I want to address is specifically because a lot of people deal with it and being an athlete with Crohn's disease can be a really tough thing to manage. So what, what for you has been the keys to managing, um, you know, managing Crohn's disease while also being so incredibly active, not only as an athlete, but you're a mom, you're, you work full-time in marketing, you're getting a doctorate in business administration with a focus in marketing. Like you're constantly, you know, literally and figuratively on the go. And yet you have a condition which, you know, causes people to be really hesitant to do, you know, those sorts of things and for, un- for completely understandable reasons. So how has it been for you managing both of those aspects while, you know, trying to be as successful as you can? Yeah, this is one that's really close to the heart for sure. Um, I, I've, I can't even remember a time in my life when I wasn't sick, some way, shape, or form, as far as like intestinal issues, and and it it is so hard to live day by day like that. So my heart goes out to anybody suffering from any sort of thing like this, and like I'm always here to try my best to you know be that person to understand. Um, but I will say that, um, something interesting did happen for me. And so I'm excited to be able to share. So, um, when I was about 35, so I got diagnosed with Crohn's colitis at 28 years old. And the options at the time were, you know, you need to go on this medication and being the very stubborn individual that I tend to be, I was like, you know, I don't necessarily think that getting extra side effects is worth, uh, getting sicker in in my opinion at the time it was like i was trading stomach ailments for other things and i had lived my whole life with stomach issues and they were unpredictable i could just do this so i asked them to please help me with a diet and i would like to try to regulate with diet so that worked for a while and it worked you know i i feel like it was it got me through professional fighting and everything but then when i hit 35 it had like a major plateau um, I was so sick. Um, so I would start my day off fine. And then every day at two, I'd get like utter malaise where like I literally was sitting at my office feeling like I had a full-blown flu. Um, either that or I had a major migraine. And then I could always guarantee about 6 p.m. I was going to get a major stomach ache at varying levels. Like one time it was so bad, I had to like ride it out for eight hours in the fetal position just in cold sweats. Um, it was so, so bad. So, you know, when I first got into the New York City Marathon, I was kind of like, I have got to figure out something for my nutrition because like, I don't actually think I'll make it 26.2 miles. There's no way. 
So I ended up going to a doctor here. We had just, we had moved to Chicago like three years prior. He sort of dug into all of my history back from Florida. And then he finally said, you know, like, I don't know what else to tell you, but have you ever tried food sensitivity testing? And I was like, no, I've done food allergy testing, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to go on Humira. Like just, I, I can't do it. So I went to a registered dietitian. I gave them four vials of blood waited like two weeks. And then what happened is I got this varying list of like foods that were in different reactivity levels. And it turns out that I had like 15 foods that are very common in my high reactivity level, which was like out of a hundred chicken and yogurt and corn and cane sugar were like all in the 90, 98 range. And so the, the whole philosophy was, is like, okay, we're going to go to the green foods that your body like will, your body likes, and we're going to eat those only for like 12 days. And then we're going to do this slow diet back to getting you into some of the yellow foods. But the idea is, is that you're never going to eat these red foods again. And immediately in the eight days, I lost all of the, I had this weird like extra 10 pounds or so of like bloating too that I could never get rid of. So I lost all of that immediately. I immediately was like, didn't need coffee anymore. I woke up vibrant, went to sleep, slept through the night, was just feeling so well. And then if you accelerate the 90 days when all of the food like eliminations were over and I was on like a consistent diet, I cleaned my gut out, everything like that. Um, we accelerate now to like two years later. I have never, ever, ever had a stomach ache again. Whoa. Yeah. So it's kind of a crazy story in that sometimes I think that we live with diagnoses that like we either medicate or, you know, we can't quite shake. Um, and who knew for me it had, I could regulate it by eliminating some foods um, it, it has been the most wild ride of my life. I attribute the success in my running 100% to the fact that I have changed and gotten control of my diet. And I I remember so well being sick that I refuse to ever – like you have a choice with food sensitivities, right? Like it's not like if I eat something, I'm going to go into anaphylactic shock. I just risk having a stomach ache of varying levels. And the point is, I remember it so well, I never want to be sick again. So like I have not had any cane sugar. Um, and a lot of really common foods that are deemed healthy are just not healthy for me. I cannot eat chicken. I cannot have, you know, dairy products. I cannot have soy. So it's just been fascinating. So I literally am on an Amy diet. It's the diet for me. It works. I feel great. Um, and I'm so thankful not to be sick every day. I just cannot put a price tag on it. Yeah, and I think that's a great example. Again, this is for very obvious reasons, but I think a lot of people can take from it is this idea of kind of personalized nutrition. And obviously, there are certain principles within nutrition that are that can be you know more hard and true than others. Um, obviously, there's a lot of a lot of less um, you know the, the fads can be fairly cyclical at times. But there are certain things like all right, vegetables are good for you. I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> and then the, and these kinds of principles, you know, and that's generally speaking. But like you mentioned, like you know, personalized nutrition. If you have the ability to have someone really take a hard look at it, can really be a game changer for not only people with Crohn's disease, but for so many people because it's just one of those things you don't know what you don't know. 
and we are all in different seasons of our life and you never know how things can change. Yeah, for sure. And I really think that, you know, when you do get older, your body is like desperately trying to give you more and more signs. Like I think, you know, what what do we change every like eight years or six years or but our body does change. And I just remember 35 being to the point, I remember calling my mom and saying, I cannot do this anymore. Uh, And so thankful that I was able to find an alternative because I do think the alternative would have been having to go on medication. You just, you can't live your life and do the things you love if you're sick every day. That's for sure. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all these wonderful stories and anecdotes and, and, and so on and so forth. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Yes. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show. So much fun. I loved this conversation. A former fighter turned marathoner. I love it. And you got the fight game going now down to her son, who she's obviously very proud of. And it's just so interesting to see because, frankly, I don't talk to many fighters in real life or on the podcast. And I just loved this conversation wholeheartedly. So, not only thank you to Amy, but thank you to the sponsors, TuneUp CBD and Prevenex. I trust those guys so much. Again, you're talking about CBD companies. You're talking about supplement companies. Shoot, there's a lot of things that go along with that. And, you know, sometimes you just don't know who to trust. You don't know whether these things are real or legitimate. And I'm telling you, I believe in both of these companies. And that's why I allow them to sponsor the podcast. So go check them out. TuneUpCBD.com and Prevenex.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. You can also support the show by going to Patreon. If you are a subscriber to the podcast, I would really appreciate it. If you do the $1 a month support, that's, I know, obviously not a big deal from a financial standpoint. Might not be a big deal to you. It means a lot to me because the Rambling Runner is something that I think in the near future might end up being a full-time thing for me. Cross my fingers. Hopefully my boss isn't listening to this part of the episode, but that could happen and it could happen with your support. So, I really appreciate that. Also, there's a $5 a month support as well, which kind of provides you access to helping shape the show. I share a lot of what's going on with the show, potential things, potential events, potential topics, and all of those things. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. Just representation of storm brewing amazed that. The focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.